Hello everyone and welcome to season 3 of Backyard Geology. This season I will be taking you across the world on a geologic pilgrimage to visit natural sites that have played a key role in our understanding of Earth, its history, and the processes by which it has evolved. The present is the key to the past. Join me on a journey to sites where you can peer deep into the mantle and deep into time to understand the evolution of our spectacular planet. This week's journey takes us to the Galapagos Islands off the western coast of South America. A land born of fire, truly. While that may sound dramatic, it is true when it comes to the Galapagos. Located on a geological hotspot where there is magma upwelling from the mantle, the Galapagos Islands are a series of islands formed by underwater volcanism. Any volcanic islands are interesting simply because they tend to be volcanically active and are typically very young on the geologic timescale. But the geology of the Galapagos was what made it such an important spot for ecological observations by Charles Darwin. I know what you're thinking. You're here to listen to a podcast about geology, not ecology. But if you aren't familiar with Darwin's trip to the Galapagos, I would suggest you hang around because it is beyond exciting. Check out a previous episode of this season of Backyard Geology based in Iceland to learn about hotspots and how they work. Unlike Iceland, the Galapagos are not located on a divergent tectonic plate boundary. However, they are located near a sizable transform fault, which is associated with the nearby subduction zone between the Nazca Plate in the Pacific Ocean and South America, where the Andes have been uplifted. The group of islands can be found just over 1,000 kilometers west of Ecuador in the Pacific Ocean. 19 rugged and densely vegetated islands make up the Galapagos, which are technically part of the country of Ecuador. Volcanic eruptions during the late Neogene period, about 5 million to 3 million years ago, formed the bulk of the islands, making them relatively young. Since then, these islands have been altered, and in some cases expanded, by volcanic eruptions. So much so that today there exists new lands that Darwin didn't even see during his visit to the islands in the early 19th century. As the crust has slowly moved eastward over the hotspot center, the islands to the southeast are oldest, while the islands to the northwest, where the hotspot currently resides, are younger. Most rocks on the island, similar to Iceland, are basalts, our favorite mafic oceanic crust building material. Because I am studying geochemistry, I cannot help but comment on the geochemical signatures seen throughout the Galapagos before diving into their ecology. In the case of hotspot and volcanic island research, one element stands out. As a listener, I recognize that you might not be a geochemist, but I hope you can come to appreciate the element helium as much as I do in the upcoming minutes. In geochemistry, looking at different isotopes in geologic samples is essentially like fingerprinting for rocks. Isotopes are elements with different weights, which is dictated by the number of neutrons, a neutral subatomic particle, and different isotopes of different atoms are sometimes incredibly unique, allowing geochemists to backtrack large-scale geologic events with the tiniest of elemental signatures. Helium-3 is a primordial, stable isotope of helium, meaning that it was created during the Big Bang and has existed in its current form since then. 
Today, helium-3 has two sources, deep within the Earth, having been incorporated into Earth during its formation, and high above the Earth as cosmogenic dust, floating around as remnants of the Big Bang. Finding excess amounts of helium-3 in rock samples is indicative of a deep mantle source, a hotspot. It is measured as a ratio of helium-3 to helium-4, the latter of which was also found in the cosmic dust that contributed to Earth's formation. We find high amounts of helium-3 in all the famous hotspot islands, Iceland, Hawaii, Samoa, and the Galapagos. We also find helium-3 from classic mid-ocean ridges, where basalts erupt underwater to form new crust, but such shallower sources yield smaller amounts of helium-3, making the excessive amounts of helium-3 found in hotspot islands a telltale sign of a deep mantle source. In the Galapagos, the island of Fernandina is recorded to have the highest helium-3 values, currently hosting the most active volcano of the archipelago, sitting right over the hotspot. Interestingly, the northern part of Isabella Island, although near the hotspot center, has lesser amounts of helium-3 due to its closer proximity to the mid-ocean ridge spreading center. The shallower source of mid-ocean ridge basalts means that they contain less helium-3, and therefore we see lesser amounts of it, despite its hotspot proximity. On to the cosmogenic dust. Volcanic islands like the Galapagos start underwater, and with time will eventually build and surface. As islands surface, they are exposed to remnant helium-3 that is hanging around among the cosmos. As ordinary terrestrial atoms are bombarded by cosmic rays, they change into new isotopes called cosmogenic nuclides. Accumulations of cosmogenic nuclides indicates exposed surfaces because the effect of cosmic rays weakens greatly below a few centimeters from the rock's surface. Helium-3 reveals the incredibly young exposure ages of the Galapagos Islands, most of which have spent less than 100,000 years at the surface. Together, the two forms of helium-3, a unique isotope, tell the story of hotspot volcanic islands, from where they came from to when they emerged from the ocean. Even if you haven't heard of geochemical isotopes, I hope you can appreciate just how out of this world helium-3 is when it comes to geology. Charles Darwin was a naturalist, geologist, and biologist. In 1839, Darwin published a famous book, The Journal of Remarks. In this book, he published some astounding results from observations he took while aboard the HMS Beagle, a ship that sailed from 1831 to 1836 around the globe and around much of the South American coastline, including the Galapagos. In his early 20s, Darwin agreed to join the crew as a naturalist to survey the world's vast coastlines. I'd like to draw your attention to the title of Darwin's book, The Journal of Remarks. The ideas put forth by Darwin from his voyage on the Beagle were the result of the incredible powers of observation. The early 19th century was filled with unknowns, and challenging widely believed explanations from faiths was no simple task. The Beagle spent five weeks in the Galapagos which the captain, Roberts Fitzroy, described the landscape as a shore fit for pandemonium. This was probably because of the dense vegetation and the lack of human civilization that made accessing inner land appear impossible. Nonetheless, Darwin and the crew surveyed the Galapagos, which allowed Darwin to observe the flora and fauna of the island. 
Having previously surveyed parts of mainland South America, he noticed that the islands had what appeared to be some of the same species, but with slight differences. Perhaps one of the most notable things he observed was that several species of finches had different beak shapes that varied with their food source and how they captured food in different ecological niches throughout the islands. Darwin wrote, One might really fancy that, from an original paucity of birds in this archipelago, one species has been taken and modified for different ends. He not only observed differences in species between the Galapagos and mainland South America, but he also noticed differences between species within the Galapagos Islands themselves, each slightly better suited to its environment and or individual ecological niche. From his notes, he developed the theory of natural selection, describing the process by which populations of organisms slowly change and adapt to their environment because of random variations through generations, some of which produce more favorable traits. With time, natural selection will lead to speciation, giving rise to new and distinctly different species. Mutations, random changes in DNA structure, can be neutral, harmful, or advantageous. In natural selection, those organisms with advantageous mutations are more likely to survive in their particular niche. Over time, advantageous traits will become more common and species will adapt. The differences between the Galapagos and mainland South America and the ecological differences between the islands themselves allowed Darwin to observe different species and subspecies that were the product of natural selection, the driver of evolution. I would argue that the geology of these islands made these observations possible. Being volcanic islands isolated from mainland, they act as segregated niches, promoting adaptations that differed from those on the mainland. Darwin's observations and his ideas that each species had traits better developed for their environment directly challenged the thought that all species of plants and animals had been created by God, just as they exist today. The complexity and function of some plant and animal parts, the classic example being the hinges on a bivalve shell, led people to believe that organisms had been created by a powerful and wise perfectionist, in this case, God. Of course, this was controversial. Other naturalists began describing similar ideas to Darwin, independently or otherwise, and by the 1950s, the theory of evolution by means of natural selection was universal among scientists and is now widely accepted, though some creationists still oppose the idea. The Galapagos have something to offer for both ecologists and geologists, and together, Helium and Darwin tell the story of these rich lands. I'm fascinated by the incredible powers of observation, and those of geochemistry, of course, and how they help describe our planet. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your family and friends. The International Geologic Pilgrimage of Backyard Geology is part of the Geology Podcast Network and is sponsored by Traveling Geologists. Find more episodes from the Geology Podcast Network wherever you subscribe to your podcasts.